to be seated this morning. And kids, you are welcome to head down to the Gospel Project. You guys still do that? We're doing. Has it ever been that? It has, right? We okay with this? Good. Yeah. Thank you, man. Um, my name's Jeremy. I uh, was one of the elders here. Greetings from Covenant Church, and uh, grateful to be here with all of you this morning. Genuinely, genuinely great to be here with you guys. Um, woo, sorry. I don't mind using the other mic too, whatever you guys prefer. Uh, so, Philippians. We are in the book of Philippians, and what an exciting uh, letter to walk through. And so, if you would with me, turn to Philippians chapter 1. Let me just kick. Oh, okay. How's that? I won't walk this morning. Uh-oh. Now I'm bound. I'm bound by the mic. I'll shut this off. I uh, realized not too long ago that I now need these to read. So, and uh, it's been a couple weeks, a couple weeks that I've admitted it. And then I also realized this morning, as you can see, I grabbed my wife's readers. So there is a nice leopard uh, pattern to the inside. I'm not ashamed. I don't mind. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read uh, verses 18 to 26 this morning. Verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to, main, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Pray with me this morning. Lord, we come to your word and we ask that you would open our hearts. Do what you do. Only you can change us. We ask this morning that your spirit would illuminate to us the scriptures, that you would open our hearts and help us to understand, adjust us to your word. 
that our life, the foundations by which we make decisions, by which we do things and live and breathe and have our being, the way we relate to you, Lord, the way we relate to each other, that it would be adjusted, that the perspective would be shifted, that we would see things the way you see them. Change us this morning by your spirit. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Decisions, decisions. Life is full of decisions. In fact, we make about 35,000 decisions a day. Seems like a lot. Maybe not. Some are so simple, we don't even recognize it, right? Um, Some are complex. Let me give you some hypotheticals. This reminds me of the old youth group book. I don't know if I'm an old youth pastor, so the Would You Rather book. Anybody ever remember read those? On a bus, some of you, some of you are nodding, I can see it. Would you rather give up social media or eat the same dinner for the rest of your life? That's an easy one for me. (laughs) Uh, Would you rather have a face that everyone laughs at or a name that everyone laughs at? Would you prefer? Our good friend Levi Pancake could probably speak to that. Would you rather be able to listen to only Baby Shark or only Taylor Swift on repeat for the rest of your life? Baby Shark. <laughs> We're going Baby Shark. I got a lozier. I don't know. I seem to be moved by some of her writing. I just <laughs> Sometimes decisions are difficult because they're both terrible options. But here, you know, you know, and often in those terrible decisions, you're caught between a rock and a hard place. And it's difficult to decide. As the old expression goes, no good options are available. But in this passage, Paul has a different dilemma, and we see this crisis he's having, this dilemma, this choice. He tells us at the end of verse 22 to verse 23 uh, about this dilemma, which shall I choose? I can't tell. To live and struggle in this life or to die and be with Christ? He's hard-pressed between the two. And the quandary, comes, the quandary comes from the fact that he's faced with, honestly, two, in his view, wonderful options. He's faced with this, would you rather live or would you rather die? And I'm pretty sure that if we pulled the room here this morning, we would say, that's not much of a choice, right? Like, I want to live. Why is Paul paralyzed by this choice? It seems easy to us. And I think it's because Paul has an understanding and a perspective that many of us today don't share. And we see this here in the Word of God, this adjustment to our perspective, this understanding, this idea of what it means to live and what it really means to die. And Paul's confronted with this dilemma. So as we've jumped into the book of Philippians, what do we see leading up even to this passage in the first chapter? We see joy, right? Paul, here he is. He's in prison. And, you know, some people have argued about which one of Paul's imprisonments is this. I believe it's Paul's in prison in Rome. And he's potentially facing trial and death. He is, uh, you know, I don't know how much time you guys have spent in jail. Uh, I actually, not because I was put there, but I've, I've spent some time in the jails for different reasons in my career. And uh, 
this first century prison in Rome is not, there's no HBO, <laughs> all right? He's not lounging and just wasting time and taking naps. Like, this first century dungeon, this prison that he's in is not a good place to be. Whether, you know, it's not, you know, there's no Bill of Rights here. Um, even though Paul's a Roman citizen, there is not necessarily the requirement to let him know what he's charged with or give him a speedy trial. He could, for all he knows, be there for as long as they decide to throw him in that pit and leave him there. And so here we find Paul writing this epistle from prison and making these claims, making these amazing affirmations. And he's writing this book to these people who he clearly loves and has incredible affection for. And he's exclaiming this joy from prison that I think for all of us to look at and and adjust our own perspectives and say, how is it that Paul makes these claims? How is it that Paul expresses in the situation that he's in such incredible joy? Paul's perspective on living and dying it flies in the face of our contemporary perspective, right? And it's amazing how circumstances adjust your perspective, right? I mean, it's one thing to be sitting in a beautiful home today with some OIP wings and pizza. Sorry, Joe, said throw it out there, man, I got you. And watching the football game and ask yourself to live as gain or, you know, or to live as Christ, to die as gain. And it's another thing to be sitting in a Roman prison potentially, have that kind of perspective. I love C.S. Lewis writes, uh, here lies an atheist, all dressed up with no place to go. And then he comments, how I bet he wishes it were so. Oscar Wilde uh, wrote about his deathbed. And interestingly enough, he was laying on his deathbed and he commented to the people standing around him to their surprise how awful the wallpaper was. (laughs) He looked up and said, this wallpaper is terrible. And he stated, one of us would have to go. (laughs) (laughs) And Paul makes this incredible statement sitting in a prison. To live is Christ, to die is gain. What a great affirmation. Joy. Where is Paul's joy from? Why is he rejoicing? He's rejoicing in prison. What do you think of when you think of joy? What do you think of when you think of the things that bring you joy in your life? And I know as Christians, we have the opportunity to be here this morning to sing the words that we just sang, to confess the confession that we have together as Christians. And we can dive into the deeper things that we see from the Word of God that actually produce real joy in our life. And that's really what we need to get at this morning because it is the temptation, I think, in our context and in our world to rely on temporal things to bring us joy, to rely on the things that we have uh, ready access to to bring us joy, as much food as we want, as much comfort as we want, as much entertainment as we want. And we begin to sometimes live for those things as ultimate, and we forget about what truly brings the kind of joy the scriptures talk about that go beyond your ability to understand, regardless of circumstance. And here's Paul in a very difficult circumstance taking joy. We see in verse 19, the basis of his joy is found in what he knows, that these events will turn out for his deliverance. In verse 20, that this joy is found in what he eagerly expects. 
In verse 21, we find that his joy is grounded in all that Christ means to him. So let's take a look at this together. Verse 19, his joy is grounded because he knows he's going to be delivered. He says to them, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, some commentators argue he's talking about his temporal uh, situation, that it'll turn out from his, he's going to be acquitted when he goes to court and he'll be released and be able to return to them. Some argue Paul is ultimately talking about his deliverance that's found in Christ, should he be executed and killed. I actually think as the passage unfolds, Paul's talking about both. He's saying, listen, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I think I'm going to come back to you guys for your good, but whether I'm in my body, uh, I, I glory in Christ being glorified in my body, or whether I die, I get to be with Jesus. And so I'm ultimately either way going to be delivered, but my hope isn't in my temporal circumstances. My hope isn't in what is out of my control and what the Roman government does with me. My hope isn't in my trial to come or in my release or in my eventual death. My hope is in Christ. And in that, I'm going to be delivered one way or the other. Amen? What an interesting perspective he has that we can learn from here. Paul's hope is in Christ. I love the beginning of verse 19 because he starts out by saying, for I know that through your prayers. Paul says this over and over again, how he's strengthened by the prayers of his friends, by the prayers of believers, by the prayers of the church. For I know that through your prayers, Paul's dependent on the prayers of the Philippians. It's worth noting that prayer is meaningful, that Paul, he talked about that, that there's this bond built, as we, as we read in Philippians earlier, that there's this bond built through the participation in the gospel, right? And, and we're going to talk about the church being one coming into the next end of this chapter and into, into chapter two, but there's a bond built through the participation of the gospel together as he participates with them in suffering, as he participates with them in serving, as he has his life is, is poured out like an offering. And as they do this together, as they serve Jesus together, there's a bond that's built, almost like a military thing where you, you, you hear of, of, of loved ones or those we know who, who have gone away and they're in a foxhole with someone and they come home and there's a bond together that no one else seems to be able to understand because of what they participated in together. And as you think of the church, that is what God's called us to, to participate with each other in the gospel. That means enter into the sufferings of another. That means to pray for each other. Amen? You know, we say it all the time, I want to pray for you. I know I say it. I'm not making fun of you. I, I'm going to pray for you. Okay. <laughs> Do we pray for one another? What a great opportunity in the context of our MCs or in just whatever life-on-life discipleship type ministry you are participating in to, to bond your life to a group of people who pray together, who pray for you when you're struggling, who rejoice with you when you're celebrating, who are there for you in prayer. And Paul says here how important that is for him. I, I'm, I'm certain through your prayers, God is going to deliver me. You need to pray for each other. Those relationships 
are real in sickness and difficulty in the simplicity of life. In Romans 15.30, I urge you to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Paul says this over and over again. Join me in, in your prayers. And he is so grateful. He loves the, or the Philippians people in such a unique way. This is the only letter that he writes to one of the churches where he's actually not bringing any correction. He's, act, he's just telling the Philippians how much he loves them and how appreciative he is for them, for their lives. And I don't think we should miss that. He loves these people deeply. They bring him joy. The relationship he has with them brings him joy. And he's relying on their prayers, knowing that they're praying for him while he's in prison. And if you don't have those relationships today, folks, that's what the church is all about. For us to participate, we, we identify with each other, a group of people who would ordinarily probably not hang out with each other, but we are here together because of Jesus and what he's done. And we have this common uh, conviction that Christ has died for us. We're baptized into his church and we are together in this, regardless of socioeconomic status, regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of any of these differences that separate us in the world. Because of Jesus in the church, we participate in the gospel together. Amen? We should hold each other up and pray for each other. And know in the midst of your struggle and in your difficulty, someone at Renovation Church is praying for you and is holding you up. Paul rejoices in this. Pray for me, he says in Ephesians 6, also that whenever I open my mouth, he says, that I would communicate the gospel with boldness and freedom. That's a great prayer for each of you to make for each other, in particular for the elders of this church as they preach, when they open their mouths, that the word of God and the clarity of the gospel would be communicated every time they preach. Pray. Verse 20, the source of Paul's joy is that Christ would be exalted in his body. That he'd be faithful. Here he is in prison, writing this letter to the Philippians. He says in verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Hey, regardless of what happens to me, folks, if this trial goes bad and they kill me, if they release me, whatever happens, my prayer is, my eager expectation, my confident expectation, i.e. hope, is that Christ will be honored, that Christ will be exalted, is another translation of that word. He would be made larger in his body, regardless of life or death. Whatever happens to Paul, his prayer is that Christ would be exalted. What an amazing perspective. What's Paul's priority? What does he care about? In the way that he lives or in the way that he dies? Christ is made great. It's like John the Baptist, that, that he would increase and I would decrease. That's really what Paul's saying, that Christ would be exalted. And whatever happens to me, I'm not going to be brought to shame because I'm not worried about me. I'm worried about Christ being exalted and glorified and honored in whatever happens. What an amazing perspective. We just read that passage. I didn't even realize we were going to do that as our call to worship that he says in the Corinthians. You're not your own. Hey, guess what? Christian, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. We belong to God. 
Our bodies belong to God. That's why it matters what we do with them. Christ has bought you with a price. He has purchased you. And the response of the Christian to the gospel is like Romans 12 says, in light of the mercies of God, my whole life is a living sacrifice to you. When I look at, when I gaze at the reality of the cross and the mercy of God in my life, that he paid for my sin, that he forgave me, that he became the substitution, he stood in the way of the wrath of God for me and he absorbed it. And, and he takes upon himself the punishment that I deserve in my sin. And then I receive in his death and resurrection an alien righteousness I could never live up to. And I receive the righteousness of Christ. In light of the mercies of God in my life, the only response is my body, my life is now a living sacrifice to him. That is my, as Paul says, spiritual service of worship. It is the only reasonable response is for me to worship God with my life. Amen? That's what Paul's saying here. Hey, I, I, I'm laying my life down for... I mean, Paul's body is beaten with rods. Paul's body is whipped. Paul's body is beaten up several times. It's thrown in prison. He's thrown into stocks where they lock his body into contorted positions and leave him there. And he sings and worships. In, in the midst of the prison. Paul is shipwrecked. He's bitten by a snake. He, his body, to, to the end of his days, is absolutely brutalized. But to live is Christ. That Christ would be honored, glorified, exalted, made great in my body and in my life is all he cares about. So the loss of temporal things does not diminish his joy because his joy is not found there. Joy is found in Christ being exalted. Your body's his. You're not your own. We should take care of it. We should take care to live in such a way as he's going to go on to say in the next, next week, Ethan. I'll let you do that. Your marriage is not your own. Hey, guess what? Your marriage isn't for you. Your marriage is for God. Your marriage is designed to glorify God. Amen? The way you love your wife, husband, wife, the way you love your husband, the way you serve each other, the way you engage the raising of your children together, it's for the glory of God. God didn't give you your spouse to make you happy. God gave you your spouse so that he would be glorified in the way you serve each other and love each other. Amen? And in that, you will find joy. Even when it's hard. Your work is for God. The way you respond to your boss, when you show up, what you do, the way you act, the way you serve, the way you do your job, the way you put your hand to whatever plow God has given you is to glorify God. And, and folks, if, if our whole motivation in life is to get the promotion, 
If our whole motivation in life is to get the relationship and to have that person tell me I'm great and love me and do things for me, if our whole motivation and joy in life is our kids, our jobs, our careers, our promotion, the ability to take a vacation and go, if that's the pursuit and the object of our life, when those things go away, we're shattered. What's anxiety from? Where does it even come from? Caring about stuff? Caring about stuff that's not ultimate? Caring about stuff that only brings temporal happiness, quick happiness? I love my espresso machine. I make the best Americano on the planet. And it makes me happy. And I get my Americano and, I, and it's prepared perfectly and I open the cupboard and my darn kids have taken all the Yetis and left them in their cars, at work, wherever they are, and there is nothing for me to put it in to keep it hot. I'm immediately no longer happy, right? That's how temporal happiness can be. It's not about our stuff. We, uh, we've, I, we've probably said this several times. We are the most anxious, depressed, and medicated generation in the history of the face of this planet. And we got more stuff than anybody has ever had in the history of this planet. And guess what we're worried about? Losing it. I deserve this. I need that. I should have this. I should have, why isn't this working out for me? Why did this happen to me? Why did this person say this to me? Why didn't I get the promotion? How come my mom and dad weren't great? How come this happened? How come that happened? How come I'm not as gifted? How come I'm not as good looking? How come I don't get that car? How come my house is so small? How come his house is so big? And Paul is saying, if it's all about that stuff, guess what? That stuff will shatter you when it disappears. But for me to live is Christ. And if I don't have it, Christ will be glorified. If I lose it, Christ will be glorified. If I'm killed, Christ will be glorified. If I lose that loved one, Christ will be glorified. To live is Christ. That's where my joy comes from. Your gifting is for God. Your, your abilities, your gifts, the things that the Spirit of God has given to you to do is, is from Him. It's for Him. It's to bring Him glory, amen? And some of us, let me just challenge you a little bit. You're so gifted, and you're so capable, and God's brought you to the church. And as Paul talks about the, the, the body of Christ, and someone's a hand, and someone's an eye, and a nose, and a foot, and we're all different, and we're all gifted differently, and as God brings us together, it, it creates a picture of the body of Christ. And some of you have incredible gifting and capabilities, and you've been sitting thinking, eh, I don't really have time. I'm doing other things. I got this to do. I got that to do. I got to work here. I got to do... To live is Christ. What has God called you to do? It will bring you joy as you open your life up and live with an open hand. Loving your neighbor, loving your church, serving in any way God has given you the capability to serve so that you can open your life up and say, is Christ, and here's the question you gotta ask, is Christ being glorified in my life and is that even a priority for me when I wake up in the morning? that what I'm living for? Is Christ glorified? 
Verse 21, joy he finds in looking at the prospect of being ushered into the presence of Jesus. For me, this is where he says it, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Verse 21, listen, if all of your joy is earthly, marriage, kids, position, prominence, influence, when that goes away, we lose everything. But if your joy is to be with Christ, if you long for Christ, the difficulties of this world, he can be glorified in that. He can be glorified as you walk with him and suffer and struggle for his glory. If our joy and identity and all earthly is, is all earthly, there's no longing to be with Jesus. Right? If our joy and our longing is all earthly, then there's really no longing to be with Jesus. Folks, that's easy for us to do. That is a trap for us. We're, in the perspective, not every, everyone has different levels of wealth or comfort or enjoyment. And I know some people struggle, but in the perspective of the historical landscape in the rest of the world, we're of the top 1% wealthy people alive. And the reality is we enjoy a lot of comfort. We enjoy a lot of favor. It's blessings from God. We, we just preach through Ecclesiastes, right? It's a gift from God, but it's got to stay in perspective because it's not ultimate. Amen? And so if we're earthly-minded, you know, some people say that that person's so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good, right? You ever hear that? Some of us are so earthly-minded, we're no heavenly good. You're just so earthly-minded that this is the stuff you pursue. This is the stuff you want. This is the stuff you long for. And and the adjustment in your heart needs to be to long to be with Christ. I remember as a kid growing up, I longed to be near my grandparents. My grandparents did not live here. My my dad's side lived in Florida, and my mom's side lived in Virginia. And I never forget the moments when when they tell us, we're going, we're going on a trip, and we'd start packing the car. And I remember as a kid... Just so excited, right? Some of us maybe have that uncle or someone in the family that they're like, we're going to see this guy. And you're like, oh, all right, <laughs> right? Maybe you don't long for him. But I remember as a kid longing to see my grandparents. I was so excited to get in the car and to drive to Florida or drive to Virginia. As a, as a young kid, my, my grandfather, he's a big scotch drinker. And I'd wake up in the morning, sometimes they'd come visit us, and I'd run into the living room and I would see the bottle of Cutty Sark, Right? The bottle of Cutty Sark brought me a ton of joy, not because I drank at eight, but because I knew, I knew my grandfather was there. There's a bottle of Cutty Sark, Poppy's here, <laughs> right? That was, and it brought me joy because I longed to see him. What are you longing for in your life? Is Christ your greatest joy? Is Christ your treasure? Are you storing up stuff that's going to be of tomorrow's garage sales that future rust and moth and rust will destroy? Or are you storing up for yourself treasures in heaven? Are you pursuing the things of Christ? Is he your greatest treasure and your greatest joy? Because we are going to lose loved ones. We are going to get sick. We are going to get the bad doctor's report. We are going to have struggle and tragedy. Those of you, there's a lot of young people in this church, and some of you have been through so much. And if you haven't, you live long enough, you will bleed. I promise. And the reality is, 
Where is your hope? Where is your confident expectation? Is it in what's going to happen here or is it in Christ? We want healed now, joy now, no disappointment now, no difficulty now, no anxiety now, but we're going to have all those things. We will get those bad reports. We will lose people. We will have struggles. If your perspective is in that, in all those things, you have lost everything. You've lost everything if you've lost those things. But if your perspective is that of Paul, to live as Christ, he's going to be glorified in Paul no matter what happens. If he continues and remains in prison, if he's ultimately killed by the Romans, or if he's released and he's able to serve some more. Christ will be glorified. Verse 22, his joy is to remain, is to be fruitful. So to live is Christ, to die is gain, but to remain is to be fruitful. And he's struggling between the two. He says, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall overcome. I'm sorry, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. And you see Paul, like, listen, and you get it a little bit. He's in prison. Things are not good. And he's like, hey, man, if I die tomorrow great, right? You know, I'm going to be with Jesus. But if he allows me to remain alive, he's going to continue to serve and he's going to get to see the people he loves a lot that bring him a ton of joy. Is that true of us? I think that's an interesting perspective for us to contemplate. Paul actually loves these people. These are real people to him. He finds joy in these relationships as they participate in the gospel together. Paul, in Acts chapter 16, if you want to see how the Philippians church was, was begun, read Acts chapter 16. It's unbelievable. As Paul is serving Jesus, he has this vision, remember, of the Macedonian calling to him, Come and, and come here, and, and he's called to in this vision of the Macedonian. And Paul and Timothy, they go to Philippi. This is a place that's named after Alexander the Great's dad. This, this uh, Macedonian city is filled with retired Roman soldiers and Roman citizens. There's not really, they don't think, even a Jewish synagogue there. He's not going to the Jews. He's going to the Gentiles here. And as Paul travels to Philippi, God moves in a powerful way. First, remember Lydia? He goes to, and he's given a Bible study and he's sharing the gospel. And this rich woman, Lydia, who's a smart, intelligent, successful business owner, she sells things in purple. She sells purple goods, which is very expensive clothing. She's kind of a fashion, she's a fashion boss. That's what she is. She's, you know, in our day, she'd have the house in New York, Paris, LA. This is Lydia, right? She's a fashionista who owns her company, and she's successful, and she's sitting with Paul, and Paul begins to share the gospel. She's from Thyatira, and she has a house in Philippi, and Paul goes, and he stays at her home, and he shares the gospel with her, and he addresses the truth of the scriptures, and her intellect is, is, is pricked, and he approaches her in a particular way that she, her heart is opened up by the Spirit of God, and she's saved. God saves Lydia, her and her household, and her husband, and they're baptized. This is who Paul is talking about as he's writing how much he loves the Philippians. 
Next, he's walking down the street and there's a slave girl. And she's screaming at him. She has a spirit of divination. She's possessed and she's screaming at Paul, saying that the, they, they speak for the one true living God. She's yelling and yelling and yelling and she's following Paul as they're walking and as they're doing ministry. And I love Paul because he gets annoyed. <laughs> he's, he's like, seriously? And, and she won't stop yelling. And he turns around and he orders the demon out. He, he casts the demon out of her and she's delivered. And her owners are ticked off because she made them money with the spirit of divination. So what do they do? They throw him in jail. Paul's thinking, as he's writing his affection for these people, Lydia, the slave girl, and then Paul gets thrown in jail. What happens in jail? They're, they're thrown in stocks. As I told you about stocks, they, they lock them into positions that are brutal, that are uncomfortable, and they're, they're sitting there, and they're singing hymns, and they're worshiping God. And what happens? An earthquake comes. And shakes the place and the doors fling open and their bonds and their stocks and their, the things fastening them fall off. Absolutely free to walk out of the jail. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Is Paul concerned about getting out of jail? No. Nope. He's concerned to preach the gospel to the Roman jailer. So they stay. You see, when your life is about to live as Christ and to die as gain, you make different decisions. You make different decisions about what brings you joy. The average dude would have run out of that jail and said, I'm free. But someone who cares more about glorifying Christ than he does temporal happiness, he stayed. What happens? The jailer, retired military dude, his whole life is about honor. He's like the blue-collar military guy. And his life is about honor, and his life is about duty. And he had a duty to keep those prisoners locked up. And when those prisoners went free, he wakes up, he runs, he sees the doors are open, he sees that the fastens have fallen off, and, and that they're not locked down anymore. And he runs to grab a sword and to kill himself. Until he hears a voice cry out, do not harm yourself. We're all here. Jailer fell down before Paul. What must I do to be saved? He saved him and his whole household. See, Paul in Philippians is talking to real people who he loves. He's thinking of Lydia. He's thinking of the jailer. He's thinking of their households. He's thinking of their family. He's saying, I am brought joy. Even in my suffering, even in prison, you're my joy. It was all about Christ. His joy was found and his affection was overflowing for these people as he served Jesus. What brings you joy this morning? Where do your affections lie? Is it in the temporal? Or is it in Christ? To live, it's Christ, no matter what happens. Is our prayer for each other that he be glorified in our living. And that he would also be glorified even if we die. How much better we get to be with him. Amen? I by no means 
am comparing us to Paul. But Last week I had an opportunity to go to the 15th anniversary of Missio Church. And I just think of us in 2006. I was driving in a car with Jordan Stinziano in Florida, going to meet this dude named Jim Murphy, looking out the window. And we were talking and dreaming about what it would look like to see God plant a church in Syracuse as we were all moving home. And I remember thinking to myself, eh, I wonder if this is going to work. <laughs> I stood last week and looked at a crowd of people at Missio Church 15 years later. And all I could say is, God is faithful. God saves people. As we just decide in our imperfect, sinful, sometimes selfish ways, but as we just live for him and take joy in doing his work, God is faithful to save people. Jordan spoke, uh, uh, Levi asked him, he said to Jordan, he goes, what is the most, one of the most significant things in your 15 years as we planned a missio, gosh, 15 years ago, and, and he just said, Harper, this little girl who was born after Nate and Nikki Park came to Jesus, and she wasn't supposed to be able to have kids, and God not only saved them, he gave them everything they could ever want, and every time he looks at Harper, he thinks of the grace of God. I remember watching the video of Nate and Nikki Park coming to Jesus and thinking, if we did this just, and they were the only ones to come to Christ, this was worth it. More than 10 years ago, Paul Daly and I were sitting at the Beeville Diner thinking, we should plant a church in the northern suburbs. What would that look like? And Mike Maisie and Jordan and Paul and Tim and I began to pray and think, what would God do if we planted a Missio North? Can I tell you, we were imperfect, sinful dudes who like argued and, and tried, whatever, but I'm standing in front of you right now and all I can say is God is faithful. And this brings me more joy than anything else. God saves people. And he brings, he will build his church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. Amen? And we are at Covenant in Baldwinsville watching God save people. We baptized six people the other week. We watched the mother of a girl who was Jim Murphy's neighbor when we were starting Missio. She was a teenager that used to hang out at Jim and Tara's house. And they shared the gospel with her and they loved on her. And they called her like their second daughter. And she spent time at their neighbor's house, at the Murphy's house. And she came to Christ. And she got married. And her husband is a believer. And they have a baby and another one on the way. Or they got two little babies now. I can't remember if she had the other baby. I think she did. And, and we baptized her mother two weeks ago. Jesus saved her mom. God is faithful, amen? To live is Christ, that he would be glorified in our lives. To die is gain, amen? Pray with me. Lord, we just thank you for your mercy and for your faithfulness. Help us to have the perspective 
that we see in Paul, that our life is about you. Everything we do is about you, bringing you glory. You've saved us. You've delivered us. You've transformed our lives, and you have given us an identity and a purpose that is so far beyond any stuff we can come up with in our own heads. If we know nothing else, we know that our life is meant to serve you and bring you glory. Give us wisdom. Help us to know how to live in such a way that it's worthy of the gospel that saved us. Give us the perspective of Paul that we would not be shaken by circumstance. We would not be blown around like chaff. But we'd be trees rooted in the truth of your word no matter what happens on the outside. What's happened on the inside is what makes all the difference. Root us in your word. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.